HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. With more than 30 weekly podcasts, HRN has something for every food lover. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Bento Box and Clover, working together to provide restaurants with even more technology for a better hospitality experience. Visit getbento.com better to learn more. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and it is Wednesday, September 14th, 2022. This is our 332nd episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talent in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is an outstanding restaurateur who lives by La Dolce Vita, or The Good Life, and I will introduce him fully in a moment. First, as I do in every show, I will start with my PR tip, and then later we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to learn from failures. Yes, let's face it, we all have failed at some time, or with something, along our paths. No one is perfect. Everyone makes mistakes, but how we deal with them and move forward is what sets us apart. Learning from our missteps is how we grow and prosper. Failings can teach us how to be better, stronger, and more successful if we stay humble and willing to change. In a sense, failures are what creates success. So let's remember that life's greatest accomplishments often start from the less so. That's my tip today. Okay, I'm thrilled to have my guest joining me. It is John Meadow. He is the founder and president of LDV Hospitality, a boutique hospitality group that was founded on the ambition to bring the dream of La Dolce Vita to everyday life, with concepts including Scarpetta, American Cut, The Seville, and Dolce Italian. Focused on concept and business development, John drives the creative process for the company, envisioning restaurants and bringing them to life, as well as forging new partnerships with hotel developers to create bespoke food and beverage experiences for their guests. 
John is a graduate of Cornell's Un- Cornell University's School of Hotel Administration and a director on the board of the NYC Hospitality Alliance and more. So without further ado, welcome to the show, John. Thank you, Sherry. Thank you for having me today. It's wonderful to be with you. Well, it's wonderful to be chatting with you. Um, we've known each other for a while through the industry, and you're someone I've certainly have wanted to have on this show to to hear your story and everything you're up to. So um, let's start out, as I always do, with um, your background a bit and and how you got into hospitality. Sure. So I always say that you know, this business, this industry chooses you. You don't choose it. My my first, I always wanted to be in this business. I always had delusional dreams of grandeur of, of owning the Plaza Hotel one day. That was my first, uh, mom, that's what I want to do when I grow up. Um, my first job was a dishwasher in an Auban pan. And for some reason, I liked it. And I think if you like that, then you know that you're doing something right. Um, after university, I, I actually took my first job at, at, at the Plaza, uh, you know, chasing that romantic vision. And the uh, the romantic dream came crashing down into a realistic nightmare, uh, but it was still a wonderful learning experience for myself. I valued that experience, and ultimately, I realized that the true passion was to create. Uh, so in 2004, I was 24, and I, I left that, that one formal professional job, and I opened a bar um, over by Madison Square Garden, and uh, from then went on to build my career. Amazing. I mean, that's 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 young to start on your start on your own in your first project. Um, but, I, think, um, I think the beauty of New York is is you know if there's a city where anything can happen, it's certainly here. And I was able to cobble together about forty five investors uh, to raise a modest sum of money and. Uh, in partnership with a gentleman who's really become a mentor to me in my career, Lenny Chu of the Lenwich uh, Sandwich Shops. Uh, so it was funny how from a very kind of bizarre entrepreneurial hustle, very New York kind of story, um, it evolved into a real business. But that's the magic of New York and hospitality. Amazing. And I love that Lenny is a mentor of yours. I mean, I'm familiar with with. Uh, his places, even though I don't know him myself. He's, a, he's, he's quite a character. Uh, he is the embodiment of the American dream, immigrant, taxi driver, 20 stores later, success on Wall Street, and now he's even a partner in the Milwaukee Bucks. He was the first Asian-American owner of an NBA basketball team. And, uh, you know, he's uh, led me every step of the way. And funny enough, you know, we're opening in Tokyo in two weeks, so I'm going to go with him to uh, Seoul, Korea next week. And we're looking at opportunities there. So it's just... Uh, from very modest roots all around, you know, there's been a, these last 20 years have certainly been a journey. Oh, wow. Yeah. Exciting. That's an exciting trip coming up. Um, and it has been a journey. So, so go back a bit to, you had your first bar. I know, I re- recall you had your first restaurant, Gin Mill. Um, and then. Gin Lane. Yeah. Oh, Gin Lane. Um, yeah. sorry. And, um, you, um, and, th- and then you went on to, to form LDV Hospitality Group and with Scarpetta. So you want to right. talk a little bit about like those back then, like those, so th- those, those, those years were the most indelible in my life. And I love your, your theme and, and the hint, the, the tips today on failure. I, I think I can certainly say I've learned the most from my failures and, and, um, that time was, was, was the ultimate roller coaster for me in just such an indelible period. So I was 24 years old. We opened the bar. It was a smashing success and, and just both financially and in every regard. 
Um, it did not satiate my passion. I, I really wanted to do something that I personally connected with more. So in 2005, I, I signed a lease in the meatpacking district. Um, and it was still a little funky, gritty back then. Uh, so we did have uh, a, a, a very attractive lease. But I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And, and I signed up for a construction process that I went over 100% over budget and um, the wrong partnerships, undercapitalized, opened the year late. And as much as I put my soul into that restaurant, and I think that we had a fantastic concept. It was kind of this throwback, old school Americana you know, even before the Waverly Inn, Gin Lane was kind of the first to do this old Gatsby-esque Gatsby heritage New York thing that's, you know, in many ways been very, certainly relevant in the past 15 years of dining. Not saying I created it, but we were at the forefront of that. And we had a great restaurant, but we were financially uh, destined for ruin before we even opened um, and mired in debt. I was you know, by then 26, I contemplated personal bankruptcy and it was a very scary time and I had real obligation. Um, financially, I remember, I'll never forget uh, an 18 year old hostess from Minnesota. Her name was Robin. She came to me and she said, excuse me, Mr. John, may I speak with you? And I said, yes. She goes, my paycheck bounced. And I said, what? Well, how much was it for? And it was $321. And there I was a privileged Ivy League educated young man with a successful business, one under my belt, bouncing a paycheck for an honest, hardworking employee. It was the, it was the lowest feeling in my life. And I never forgot it. And, and one of the things I got from that experience was that, you know, hopes and dreams are wonderful, but there's no nobility in, in financial failure when other people are relying on you. Um, and lots of other lessons that I'm happy to go through, but you know, the, the, yeah. the great turnaround for me, uh, was thankfully because of that extraordinary location and at the time an undervalued lease, I was able to bring in a new investor, recapitalize the business, pay off all the debt and open a restaurant. Uh, that, that restaurant was Scarpetta in that same location. And I have to confess that I did it just to survive and to save myself and others around me from financial ruin. And, you know, for lots of, uh, Good fortune, luck, hard work, evolution of a neighborhood, for, for a variety of reasons, you know, that restaurant was, it was a great success. And we went from, a, you know, a zero to James Beard Foundation nominated best restaurant in the country, three-star review by the New York Times, and were able to build a business thereafter. Um, I wish I could say I didn't make lots of failures thereafter, uh, for which I certainly have, unfortunately. I'd like to think that I haven't repeated the same mistakes, but that was a wild, my 20s was a wild roller coaster of success, failure, and, uh, you know, get back and, and, and fight your way through something. So I, I, I can't say that I, re I regret the mistakes that I made, but I don't regret that period in my life. Yeah, no, no regrets. And it's, I mean, you're, you've, you've, you've built an amazing company and along the way, yeah, I was, I mean, I, my, I, I believe that in, in the tip that I shared and being that I think we can certainly learn from our mistakes and, and failures and, and you to have the vision to, to, to open in the spot that you did by the meatpacking district or, I mean, now, I mean, now what it is today to what it was, I mean, <laughs> um, it's, uh, you really, you, you picked a, 
in a terrific location. So you saw that coming for sure. And I remember going, I definitely went to Gin Lane and checked. I, I remember its vibe and it being very cool. And then, of course, going to Scarpetta. And I've been to your Scarpetta restaurants in multiple locations. And it's, um, I mean, how, I mean, how, did you see that coming? Like the, the like Scarpetta growing into um, a place that would be multiple locations and have such success? Um, that certainly wasn't the plan, right? Okay. Um, we opened the restaurant, plain and simple. A- 85 seats, 2,700 square feet, simple dinner only restaurant. When I say simple, just in terms of there, there was no, uh, there was no, alternate motive. There was no business. There was no mission statement. There was no build a company. It was, let's do a great restaurant and frankly, you know, get out of the old one. Um, It happened quite fast that with that initial success, first the Fountain Blue in Miami, then the Cosmopolitan in Las Vegas, they came calling and that was our foray into the hotel space. And again, from a very organic almost reactionary, non-strategic response. We said, wow, we can go and open a restaurant with the hotel's money instead of our money that, frankly, we didn't have and therefore take a far, you know, a mitigated risk position and open in Miami. I love Miami. I have lots of friends in Miami. This is going to be so much fun. And then it's, wow, you can go to Vegas and open in a casino. So in that first phase it happened very naturally and organically. The opportunities presented themselves and we seized them and they were exceptional locations. And those restaurants have been around for you know 13 and uh, uh, 12 years respectively. And we've had amazing runs in those two cities. So that was very organic. Thereafter, we started saying, okay, what are we going to do with this? And, and let's, let's build a real company. Um, and I'd say in 2012, I always called it LDV. You know, I, I remember being 14 years old, telling my father I was going to get a tattoo of La Dolce Vita, and I think I got slapped. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, and we always called it that. But the reality is that in terms of having a bona fide structure and creating a consolidated back office and building out an infrastructure, building out a team, creating a, a, a corporate culture that would allow people to have careers in hospitality and grow – that came into formation in that current structure that we have today in 2012. Um, and that's, that's when it became, you know, that was the makings of what it is today. And that was the taking it from the organic success of the Scarpetta brand in those three locations and then building into a more structured enterprise. And again, we still made lots of mistakes thereafter, but uh, that's our journey. Yeah. So then, so your, your concepts today, you have American cut, the Seville and Dolce Italian. Those are, uh, and so how did. Those are flagships. And then in all the other hotels we do, you know, we'll create concepts for our hotel partners and, and, and do some. So now you're mostly working this hotel partnership, um, which you touched on is, is working out for you and kind of the direction you've been going over. 2017, we rewrote the mission statement uh, to be focused on hotel, food, and beverage. Um, I think in my evolution, it it, it goes back to there's a constant balance between art and commerce. Uh, My personal 
self-absorbed dreams and the responsibility to the you know 1,300 employees and how many families that eat off the paychecks that we provide and my investors and banks and everything. But so again, we have this mom and pop little engine that could, and I still consider us a very small enterprise, but as we've grown fiscal responsibility and having a, a financially valid business, you know, it, it becomes fundamental. And we found in the hotel universe, a perfect storm of, of opportunity and, and kind of rationale for focusing on hotel F and B. I love to eat at charming independent restaurants. I'm in Mexico city right now. We're, we're, we're working on a deal down here and you know, I just ate 12 different street tacos and it was amazing. And, and I think that that experience in many regards is more exciting than the fancy hotel dinner that I'll have tonight. Yeah. Well, I've been to Mexico city once and no, yeah, awesome, yeah awesome. the street tacos are fantastic. That, that might be who I am as John, but that that's not my business. Right. And the reality is in the hotel space, hotels today need authentic restaurant experience to activate the overall building. I almost view our business model as more, we are hotel marketing vis-a-vis the food and beverage experience that we provide and that the guests talk about and post on Instagram than we are pure restaurant. Restaurant's the passion, but we found the vehicle to have a real business in the hotel space. And it's allowing us to open and scale all over the world and being able to focus solely on our core. In New York City, we have to deal with every time you're on the phone with buildings departments, Department of Labor, IRS, all the realities of running a core business. None of that has to do with pasta, wine, service, and marketing, right? I'm not passionate about dealing with violations with the building department, but all of it is a distraction. And in the hotel space, we get to focus solely on restaurant design, empowering, training our staff, making the pastas, serving the wine, marketing what we do. So it, it's a, it, it allows us to really play the game and, and live the dream that we're so passionate about with absolute focus and intensity and scale and travel the world and, and, and open. And uh, so we found a nice balance between we like to fully own, fully operate in New York City. I always joke about FUBU, for us, by us. In New York, in Miami, those are two markets that I want to do it the good old-fashioned way, 100%, and touch everything. Outside of home, if you will, the reality is this is a very tough industry to, to create scale, especially if you're in fine dining or lifestyle uh, social bar environment. And we found the right balance of art and commerce in the hotel space, and that's our focus. That's wonderful. What about the pandemic, which we're, we're kind of just coming off or times are kind of getting back to whatever the new normal is, but how did that affect your restaurants and, and you, and, and did that change the path? I, I hate to say it because it, it's going to sound obnoxious, but there's a reality that in spite of a million people dying, in spite of all, I went to four funerals, all of the pain, all of the, 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 the pain, pain, right? The, the war of our lifetime, of our generation. The silver linings of the pandemic, both for me personally and, and, and for my business, were amongst the most beneficial um, happenings in my career, right? I, I remember thinking it was all over. And, you know, I, I looked at my wife and I said, she said, what do we do if it's all over? I said, you know, Karen, this, New York is home. I love what I do. If it's all over, 
I'm going to open a pizzeria on the other side of this. This is who I am. This is what I love to do. And when I got that clarity and conviction that in the worst, scariest of times, that this is my life and this is my passion, this is what I want to do, then I said, okay, now let's fight our way through this thing. And we were very engaged and we put the effort that, it, that I said, you know, if, if the company's going to go to hell, well, then we're all screwed anyway. So let's keep our core team. And, and we did take, you know, salary cuts for, for key members. Um, and, but we, 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 we kept the engine running. We got the clarity that says the, the, the cut the fat. I closed three stores that lost money for roughly 10 years that I didn't have any passion about in the first place. And I took those losses and we modified the corporate team. We didn't necessarily shrink the amount of bodies on the corporate team, but we kind of repositioned and got a far more kind of holistic team. And you weren't beholden to any perceived constraints. So you were very liberated to make really tough decisions. And at the same time, we were able to sign up a bunch of deals and opportunities. So we're, we're, we have six openings in our pipeline that were signed up through the pandemic. And one of the reasons is, as scary as it was, we were perceived in the marketplace to be strong enough to weather the storm. Um, so we were able to create wonderful future opportunity. And then, in spite of all the challenges of, of, of our country and all of the disarray and emotional discourse and politics, and let's save all that because we're having a nice chat about restaurants, the US government supporting the restaurant industry, we only received I don't know, half of the funds that we qualified for. But with those half of the funds, you know, it was instrumental and, and, and we paid our landlords. And, and I'll tell you, the thing that I'm most proud about in my entire career, we bonused back our entire staff that was still working with us on at 1.50% pay, 1.75% pay. Last September, without saying a word, in their paycheck, people got bonused up to 100% pay so the pandemic didn't affect them to one penny. And for a lot of our line level managers that earn decent money, certainly competitive money by restaurant standards, they've never received a check of $50,000 in their life. And now all of a sudden, because there was a forced savings thing on a Friday, they got that bonus and it was life changing for a lot of them. And, and, and it was just a wonderful moment for me. So I think that in this moment of crisis, my court team showed a solidarity and a commitment to each other. And that bond was only further fortified. We focused, we cut the crap, we got good deal flow. And, and with that, you know, I, I feel very fortunate to be in the best position of my career. Um, and we're seeing now in New York City, business levels that frankly were better than 2019. So a really mixed bag of challenge, of pain, of, of terror, um, but Certainly something I'll never forget. And, and, you know, here we are. We go forward. Yeah, no, it's good to look having, I mean, it's, thank you for sharing all that and to have this silver lining and, um, and I'm glad, I'm glad you're, you're doing well and moving forward. And I mean, it sounds, I mean, that sounds like an understatement being <laughs> that um, I don't actually don't even know how, how you're keeping up with, with yourself in a sense. It's, but you, but mean, you know what's funny about the, the restaurant business is like, too often we find ourselves as hamster on a hamster wheel, right? The yeah. worst thing was I had three businesses that lost money for 10 years. 
when you have to pay those bills out of the good stores to pay the bad stores, right? Stealing from Peter to pay Paul. And I know I'm not the only person in the restaurant business that have done this. It's such a drain on your organization, right? And when you're not passionate about those restaurants, right? So to cut the crap was such a liberating thing. And I think that in doing that, you know, when you limit, I, I spent pre-pandemic, I spent the 10 years prior, 90% of my time putting out fires of stuff that didn't have any upside. And now I can thankfully say I get to spend 90% of my time on passion and wonderful people around me. So it's just uh, the, the COVID cleanse, COVID clarity was very meaningful. And, and, and with, with when you're opening new restaurants, with putting your team together, like I just, I mean, there was a time where you were working with more of, uh, I guess we say celebrity chefs or bigger name chefs. Um, and, and I think you shifted a little with, with, put it with your teams, but when you're, when you're looking for new locations, how are you going about putting, finding your chef and putting, and, and especially locations where you might might not be as familiar like Mexico city. So most of our, certainly our international growth is Scarpetta centric, right? Um, And and therefore it's, it's more about building a team of people that can execute our core vision. Um, I think it's funny how everything kind of snowballs when you get the right location in the right market, then it's a lot easier to, to attract talent than just some transactional commercial location. But I think philosophically, the shift for me from celebrity chef partners to uh, a more modest collaborative team effort, um, it's happened naturally. It's where we found financial success. And frankly, it's where we found this wonderfully rewarding, humble uh, camaraderie in the team, I always say there's, there's, you know, there's no, no one sits at the head of the table at any LDV meeting. I want a round table. I want everyone to have a voice and I want people to support each other. And I think that I'm not going to knock all the, I've had one, I've had the good fortune of working with some of the most talented chefs in, in, in the industry. Um, and I don't regret those experiences, but I think that ultimately there's a simple reality that, you know, Picasso can take a paintbrush and a canvas and some paint and make magic. A restaurant of a caliber like a Scarpetta requires 75 to 125 employees. This is a team sport. And the more I've kind of dialed into that effort as opposed to a singular person's artistry, um, I find it emotionally more rewarding and we've gotten better financial results. And, and, and therefore, we, we, we've made that pivot. And, and what we do, even creating new stuff, it's largely concept driven uh for a specific location that we feel passionate about awesome are you doing more stuff in miami because i have been to dolce italian and and had a, a terrific experience and that's my hometown um, um I, I forgot that you're from miami that's right, that's right. We, yeah, we actually, yeah. Yeah. yeah and i went i mean it was several years ago but um all your spaces besides besides delicious food like you you have an eye for ambiance like you create a really wonderful vibe is what I was going to well, say. I think, you know, this, like, this construct of La Dolce Vita can mean something different to everyone. For me, it's about everyday charmed experiences, right? And, and I think that the restaurant experience is the ambiance. It's the people, it's the food, it's the service, but really it's when all of those 
ingredients speak the same language, the, the impact and the feeling that it gives the guest, it, it's amplified, it's, it's, it's exponential. Um, and I think that's why, again, rather than focusing on the singular chef vision, it's, it's the whole. And when you nail the whole, you know, the guest feels it. Um, so, yeah, and Miami, back to Miami, it's just fascinating what's happened in Miami these past two years. Obviously, that market has boomed like no other. I find it a hint intimidating just because there's so much action and activity. And I really kind of, we really uh, dug our heels into New York and, and US, you know, New York is still our primary. Uh, but we do have a really exciting project in Miami on uh, 15th Street in Collins. We're converting an old Art Deco hotel to Bancroft. Um, and... On the ground floor, we're actually doing four restaurant concepts. Um, there we have a wonderful chef partner. Um, I don't want to put him in the celebrity chef category because he's too humble for that. But uh, <laughs> his name will be on the bottom of the menu. His name is Raheem Sealy. He was formerly at Q and, and uh, he's a Miami kind of darling. Um, in addition, on the second floor, so floors two through five, it's a five-story building. Um, we will be operating uh, on behalf of... Um, a developer who's doing a, a members club, actually. So we're going to do a, a, a private restaurant uh, and, and cigar lounge uh, in, in a very kind of interesting members offering. So we're going to tap into that sphere, which, of course, is quite popular now. So we're going to do a nice hybrid of four public-facing restaurants and then a members club um, upstairs. So that'll launch uh, over the next 16 to 18 months. Oh, well, I'm glad I asked. That's yep. exciting. And what's fun, what I'm excited about is with that one, we're going to do our first ever Japanese concept, our first Mexican concept. Uh, so I think that'll be really fun to do, uh, you know, new stuff for us. Yeah. Well, I look forward. Thank you. So let me ask you my question for my last guest on episode 331 I had on Jessica Shupak. She's a New York-based food and beverage development consultant. Uh, one of her clients is uh, the James Beard Foundation, who she's been working with uh, on a few projects, actually. So she wants to know, how did you get involved with food and finance high school and what sort of things are you working on with them? She she thought you were on the advisory board as she had had a chance to work with them when she was on the board of right. the New York City Restaurant Association. So... Um... Food and Finance, the Food Education Fund, Food Education Fund funds the Food and Finance High School. It's a wonderful, wonderful organization. Um, our SVP of brand development, Sarah Kim, who I work very closely with, uh, connected with their team. Um, and, you know, we started poking around and, and getting to know the, the team there. And ultimately, Historically, if anyone asked me, oh, can I have a donation to my kid's school? Sure. Can we do that? And we were very active in a reactionary way to, to you know, to being to, to charity and to being a part of our community. Right. We take that very seriously. But with the Food Education Fund, it gave us an opportunity to really solidify and focus our charitable efforts and community centric uh, engagement and energy onto a cause that is so fundamentally core to us, right? We always talk about the hospitality industry and the challenges of staffing it. Okay. And we, we live in New York city and there is a reality 
for a lot of outer borough minority youth, which is what the, the fund focuses on supporting them. And that's the, the kind of core uh, demographic for the high school that don't have the opportunity of the education that I did um, and, and that so many of us have had. And is food and beverage not a wonderful world where, where if kind of nurtured from an early age, can they not go on to have exceptional careers and bring themselves out of the challenges of the reality of the, of the cards they've been dealt in, 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 in their childhood, in their, in their communities. So you're really addressing certain aspects of education, social financial inequality, the restaurant business as a whole. It's like, this is a solution. It's a beautiful solution to so much. And that's why we're so impassioned to support this organization and really put our efforts um, towards it. And we've had the privilege of, Last year, I, I, I did like this associate professor thing for, for a, a business plan competition and fundraising and having the students trail in our restaurants. And it's just it is it is the personification of what's good about New York, about what's good about our industry. And, it, and everybody wins. I think for me, it's just, just this wonderful, unique opportunity of pure positivity. And, and it feels good to be a part of it. And then, you know. Our signature spaghetti, uh, you know, it's funny. I think a lot of people do classify us as one of these, uh, you know, if we're charging in the high 30s for spaghetti, that's pretty bold. And that's the reality of the demographics that our restaurants serve. And the opposite of that is, you know, a portion of every single spaghetti sold goes to that education fund in addition to the other funds that we raise for it. So I think that it's just, it's a, yeah. a wonderful opportunity for us. And we're very grateful to be a part of it. Yeah, no, that is wonderful, and your spaghetti is delicious, and Thanks. and the and this organization or this um, with the food education fund. I mean, the people I've seen involved as well, additional you know, additional restaurateurs um, are and and people in the industry. It's it's a it's a really um, impressive group of of people. That's I respect wonderful. a lot. So that's, um, that's that's terrific. You're a part of it, and what you're doing. So. Um, before we take a break, just one more question. So what advice would you give to someone who wants to be a restaurateur <laughs> to make lots of mistakes and <laughs> just keep going? <laughs> um, oh, there's so much. I, I guess if I was to say one sentence, I would say, follow your gut with conviction and humility. All right. Well said. On that note, let's take a little break and we'll come back. We'll play my speed round, talk some industry news. I have my solo dining. The final question. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. With over 70% of diners researching restaurants online before they go in person, a strong digital presence is more important than ever. Bento Box's website, marketing tools, and commerce platform help restaurants get discovered online, make more money, and engage diners in person and virtually. And Clover's world-class POS and payment system streamlines daily operations for a totally seamless experience. With Bento Box and Clover working together, restaurants now have an all-in-one solution 
that makes it easy to deliver better hospitality from the kitchen to tableside and beyond. Bento Box and Clover, the right recipe for hospitality. Visit getbento.com slash better to learn more. That's getbento.com slash B-E-T-T-E-R. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and my guest today is John Meadow. He's the founder and president of LDV Hospitality, which, if you didn't know, LDV stands for La Dolce Vita, the good life. So, John, it's time for my speed round game. What this is, is I'm going to name a couple things, and you get to pick your preference, such as chocolate or vanilla. Are you ready? Sure. (laughs) Oh, I think I think you're going to be good at this. Okay, yeah, here both, we go. I, my, my my problem is I, I like everything. Well, there are no rules to the game, so okay. play it however you like. <laughs> I'm ready. Okay, eat in at home or eat out at a restaurant. Out at a restaurant. Indoor dining or al fresco dining. Indoor dining. Wine, beer, cocktail, mocktail, or champagne. Wine, which includes champagne, and I love champagne, but wine in general. Okay, I like it. How about tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte. Small plates or large plates? Small plates. Communal table or chef's counter? Chef's counter. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? Oh, that's very complex. As an individual, I like to tip for the purpose of this business and the salvation of this industry. I believe in time and an all-inclusive charge. Okay. I hear you. Okay. A few more. Pizza or pasta? Oh, Sherry, I can't. That's like (laughs) between my two daughters. I mean, I I can't. I I don't know what to say. Okay. I mean, you could give me give me any third food group, and I'm choosing those two as my two favorite. The pizza and pasta for me is is life. I have both too many times every single week. If not, I have one or the other every day. Uh, that's what I love. Both. All right. Good to know. Um, t-shirt and jeans or a suit? I like to dress a suit. I I had to throw that in there because if if no one's ever met you in person before. You are the most dapper, well-dressed, I would say, restaurateur. Yeah, no, you always, I, I mean, I wasn't sure where you're going to go on that, but I don't know. I don't know if I've ever seen you in, <laughs> well, maybe in jeans, but I've definitely seen you in a suit. <laughs> I, I, I like, I like, the, I like, the, I think there's a whole world of sartorial arts and, and that's a whole different discourse, but I think people that create clothing and, and I don't buy brand names. I like to go to the tailors and I, I really think that it is a beautiful art form. Uh, and it's, it's, it's not business for me. Right. So it's just something that I enjoy. Yeah. Well, good. Okay. Last two are cheese plate or dessert. Dessert. And Manhattan or Brooklyn. Manhattan. Ta-da. That's the game. What a fun game. <laughs> I think it's they. I'm glad you think so. I think it's fun. I love hearing everyone's answers. It's always right. it's always different. Right. The pizza pasta thing threw me for a loop, though. Yeah. Well, I I mean, I have to. I have to. I have I've to. I've always said that my last meal on earth would be perfect Neapolitan pizza. Yeah, 
Yeah, well, um, that's that's a. I mean, besides living in Italy, New York City is a pretty good place to work. We've got pretty good Without pizza a doubt. here. Without so. a doubt. And the New York pizza as well, not just in the above. Yeah, true, true. I mean, that's why next time we have to meet at, at Roberta's. And, that's uh, it. I mean, I mean. So. Okay, so um, for industry news, um, I just picked out a piece from Food & Wine magazine that Food & Wine just announced its Best New Chefs 2022. It, the article says, meet the most exciting emerging culinary talent in the U.S. today, 11 chefs whose food is highly personal, unapologetic, and extremely fun. This is by Kush Shaw. And um, I went the other night, a couple of nights ago, they had their, their party for the chefs um, and it was at City Winery. And um, it was really great to be back at an in-person industry event, I have to say. I mean, you know, it was, it was, it was wonderful to see and meet. Um, the chefs and congratulations to all of all of them and and just see see the industry come together and I always find it pretty it's pretty fascinating these lists when they come out because Kushboo's you know going around the country it says she went to twenty four cities um, looking for the best restaurants and so um, I don't know John what's your I mean what's your take on on lists or, or awards because also. A couple hours ago, I saw Bon Appetit released its list today, too, of its hot 10. So now is like the time of year where, where a lot of these hot restaurant lists come out. Um, I have some mixed feelings about it. I, I think that I'm certainly curious about it, and I love for new talent to get recognized. And if we don't have constant new content as an industry, you know, the last thing we want, certainly in a city like New York, is to be stale. Um, and once upon a time when we were opening as an example, the first Scarpetta, we were part of all those lists in that whole world. Um, and, and, uh, you know, now we focus on a slightly different dynamic, right? I think our core focus is, is really as we're not here to shock and wow. We're here to, to really nurture comfort. And you know, if the definition of restaurateur is to really restore one's soul. Um, I, I think that our approach is, is, slightly more um, less less exciting of the new this that and the other right so I feel at this point in my career less inclined for LDV as a company to really uh, aggressively chase that world um, you know when you go to Paris every single awning, says established in 1925, 1972, and yes, Septim and Clamato, and there's all these new awesome restaurants, but I go to Paul Bert every single time. If someone says to me, where should I go in New York? I say, go to Indochine for dinner. I like their food. I don't love it, but Indochine is New York. And I think that that's the part of the restaurant world that me personally and our, for our business is we're most focused on. But the, the, the idea of new types of cuisine and new chefs being recognized and and the evolution of our industry, I think, is fundamental and super exciting. Yeah, no, I I, I hear you on all that and agree. And I for for me, I mean, well, the restaurants you name in Paris, I I the, I go I I like the old and the new. So I right. you know, right. Albert, right. and then you put right. a team, um as well. So. Right. Um, 
And I think I yeah I agree with like intro like introducing a new guard or, or or new talent and and I like I like these lists because well I, I like I like celebrating the industry but it also puts places on my map that maybe I wouldn't be as familiar with or I, I I know you know I follow New York City the most um, but it it's it's good to. It's good um, to have like a guide to be like check these. With that, and look in Mexico City, right? I mean, I sit there studying the guide the whole time, and I'm going to go to Pujol tomorrow night, and I'm you know obviously thrilled to do that. Uh, yeah. Also, right now, post pandemic, there's so many new restaurants that it's almost it's harder than ever to keep track of all of it. So I think that uh, you use the word right. It's a wonderful guide. Yeah, no, and and Mexico City. Oh my god, I was there. I don't know about five years ago. So many great restaurants. Quinto Neal is another great one. Yeah, I went one. there two, uh, two nights ago. Yeah. Oh, okay, fantastic. Um, yeah, you can't. I mean, I'm sure you're eating super well, and um, I'm jealous. But um, this uh, one thing I just say with food and wine that I like they did in the uh, on the was I think it's I was looking on the online version, um, but they have they 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 got. Um, Every every one of the chefs gave a um, a list of their own city guides. So, ah, so that's super cool. And I that's, thought that was really clever and a really great way to like you know have them share more about their personal taste, but also like very helpful for the reader. Um, so and just a shout out to two restaurants from Brooklyn were on the list. Um, Calvin or two chefs, um, Calvin. Um, Ang from Bonnie's in Brooklyn, yeah. um, and I talked about going there solo on my episode three fourteen. So I was happy to see him on the list. And Carolyn Schiff also. I talked about going to Gage and Tolner on my episode two ninety eight, and um, she's the pastry chef who they recognize. So, and with Bonnie's, one of the one of the partners in the in front of the house, um, Brad Thompson, used to work with us at uh, at American Cut. So I love to see their success. That's the best. Is when people on our team go on to, you know, really make an impact yeah. in the industry. That's the that's the wonderful thing. Yeah, it's wonderful. And then one one other, I'll shout out uh, a chef, Rob Ruba from Oyster Oyster in um, D.C. I had never met person in person, but several years ago, I was working with a restaurant, uh, a Rake's Progress in D.C. and and the chef Opie was doing collaborative guest chef dinners. And Rob was one of his guest chefs. So I always felt like I knew him and I had this connection because I helped promote their dinner. <laughs> and so it's nice to see his success. And I need to I need to get back to DC. I love sure. that. I love that. So um so people, yes, everyone go check out Food and Wines list. Go check out uh Bon Appetit's hot list too, which just dropped today. I saw Sema was on that. Um, and those the chefs from there, um, Chitan and the restaurant tour Rani, they're coming on my show in a couple of weeks. So um, they've that's been a they've been that's the Damaka team and unapologetic foods. They've they've been doing quite well over the past few years, which is they're, they're awesome. Their their yeah. whole their flavor the whole thing. and they're awesome guys too. They they were last year they were at the food and finance. Uh, we did their big uh, outdoor. Oh, cool! Yeah, I really like them. They're really awesome. nice people, and they I'm very happy for this their, their success. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so that's that. Um, time for my solo dining experience. So this week it's at Canduni. So here's the rundown. Ia eight four seven zero two. 
Santorini, Greece. Yes, it was in Santorini. The concept, a family-run restaurant featuring traditional family recipes of Greek and Mediterranean fare, and they have a wine cellar of Greek wines. The owner, the owners, I should say, are Spiros Kourankiannidis, if I'm saying that right, and his family, his brother Panos is chef in the kitchen, and his mother, it's Pano and his mother's traditional recipes. They're the ones running back of the house, and Spiros is running front of the house. So why'd I go? Well, I was on this solo trip to Greece back in July, and um, I read about this place. I kind of stumbled across it, um, not sure where I was going to eat that evening, but I'll, I'll tell you why I stopped um, as I go on. But um, this is, I wanted, I wanted to give them a little shout out because I had a really wonderful time. So my experience, so it was my first night in Santorini, and I walked into the town, and I had a few restaurants on my list, but I was walking down, they have these like kind of little pedestrian pathways, like alleyways. And I came across it and it just looked so charming. I just, I wanted to dine there. I was like, this is the spot. So it was pretty late. It was after 930. Um, the place was still pretty busy. And I waited uh, about 10 minutes for them to, to clear off a table for me. And I got this nice little corner table in their courtyard space. And Sparrows, the the owner is running front of the house with this with his friend who's also they say part of the family now Elvis basically the two of these guys running this whole restaurant and it almost felt like you were at someone's house like a dinner party um i started talking to a couple from Dallas uh, a table away from me and um i just felt really at home and well relaxed and really well taken care of and so so it was special uh, what did I get? So there was a bread basket. I ordered the eggplant tian, a house specialty baked lamb, and homemade walnut cake with fig ice cream. Um, my take was all delicious. I mean, it was pretty decadent. And actually, I don't know, Sparrows almost was a little uh, hesitant or with my order being like, this is going to, might be too much or too rich. And I said, no, the eggplant's going to compliment the lamb. It's going to be terrific. And he's like, yes, you're right. So we went with that and it was, it was a really terrific meal. It was, it was rich. Um, I didn't finish it all, but, and, um, and to end with the walnut cake with the fig ice cream, um, which was like their family secret recipe. It was like fantastic. So, um, the ambiance, it has uh, overhanging bourgainvilleas, and it's this charming space, all candlelit. It's like an intimate courtyard. They have a couple little rooms also in the back, and um, it's kind of romantic. So I'd say it's perfect for like date night or a, there was a, a group, a little group gathering, and I also think it's perfect to go solo. So interesting tidbit, uh, Kanduni, they feature live Greek music most nights. And when I looked them up online, I found I found this article that said the space is actually from uh, it was a, it's a house. And 170 years ago, apparently it was a captain's home and the high walls around it um, protected women and children from the pirates. I mean, this whole story I was reading was pretty fascinating and I wasn't even sure if it was like a myth, but I think it's true. Anyways, it's a cool spot. It's definitely worth checking out. Uh, personal fun fact, um, other Santorini meals I would recommend that I went to, there was a place called Celine in Fira, um, which I discovered on the world's 50 best discovery list. And I also went to some seaside spots called Amundi Fish Tavern, also in Ia, in a place called 
two Pissaraki, which is down at the south end, and they were both great. The cost of my dinner was 50 euro. Um, the cake was complimentary. And would I go back? Yes, their website. Uh, they don't have a website, actually. Um, oh, no, they do have a website, but it's being uh, um, revamped, and it's canduni.com. So there you go. What do you think, John? You, you, I've been to, been to Santorini? <laughs> I've never been to Santorini, but I want to go. I, I, I think that the history, the owner being so active, and, and the way that you described the feelingness of home paired with the fact that it still has this romantic intimacy from an invite, you know, the, the ambiance that you're describing sounds like a totally enveloping special experience. Um, and, uh, yeah. I, I think it's a really exciting time for Greek and Mediterranean food in general. Um, and, and, and you're seeing more and more of that in New York, which is great. But to experience the real thing in that intimate setting, and you know that the product is just so good uh, in terms of the raw materials. So I'm in. I'm in. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I think you, I, I, I think you would really like this place. It's, um, amazing. yeah, it's, they have, it's something, it's some, the intimacy of it and the simplicity of it too, but just doing what they did so well and just making you feel welcome. Um, it's special. And what, what I, you just said, what, what, that, that statement there, those to me, I, I would say there's some restaurant experiences that you, experience cerebrally and you say, wow, that was so interesting. The, the experience that you've just defined in that sentence, that's when you dine with your heart. And those are the ones that you remember for a lifetime and you go back and you go back and you go back. Yeah. Yeah. It's really true. I mean, I, I sometimes it's hard for me to put into words why I like restaurants or go all the time. They're just my happy place. But when you have moments, when you have meals like this and experiences, it's like, that's why, like, that's it. <laughs> and, you know, so I, I always say it, it, it's not the customer's job. It's not the guest job to articulate the individual elements that made for a good experience. They either feel it or they don't. And as restaurateurs and professionals, that is our job is to conduct that symphony and, and kind of work all those details so that it aggregates to an impactful experience. And when the guest feels it the way that you have, that's the most rewarding thing to us that there is. Well, I love it. Thank you. And on that note, let's do the final question. Uh, so my next guests are Matt Freelander and Zach Snyder. They are industry veterans who have opened their own cocktail bar called Sally Can Wait. And it's a Miami Vice inspired bar on Manhattan's Lower East Side. And um, John, I want to see if you could ask them a question. I'm just digesting. Um, Miami Vice. <laughs> they make really amazing Miami Vice. I, I would love, like, the the level of detail between the name and the inspiration of Miami Vice, location on the Lower East Side, right? You have three super specific, distinct kind of elements there. I would love to hear them describe their journey of, of coming up with this uh, super cool and specific concept. Awesome. I'm going to ask and find out. We will, we will definitely explore that. So thank you. It's a great question. And um, yeah, I'm sure I know they, I know they've got some stories. <laughs> no doubt. 
Um, and actually, before we end, I just, I, I, I don't know if you remember, I wasn't sure, um, how exactly to tie it in, but I, as I was prepping for this show, I was thinking back about Queen of the Night at Dining Horseshoe at the Paramount Hotel, yep. which I remember meeting you at Corso Coffee and showing yeah, yeah, yeah. Before it opened, and when it this is like 2014, and it was quite it was quite a a, a restaurant experience, <laughs> entertainment experience. So um, I just want it was a it was a great memory and a great um and a great part of like my history of like living in New York and going out. So I, I appreciate you saying that, and that was by far the craziest thing uh, we were ever a part of. Uh, it wasn't a very good business, but I have no regrets with that one. That that was a very um, what I I've had other failures, but with that one, everybody was all in, and I know that we created an experience that left an indelible impression. So I appreciate your fondly remembering it, and uh, I have lots of fond memories too. But that that was a yeah, that was a, not a freak show, but that that was an intense one. That was a crazy, very New York. Everyone says it's about creating an experience. That was an experience. It really was. It really was. And I feel not, it was, it was, it was, it was a moment. It was like one of those like moments in New York city that I won't forget. And, and I, and it is, I associate it with you because you, you did show me the space and I just, it was so, it was so cool. (laughs) Thank you. So, I'm smiling. Ten years later, I'm still smiling about it, which is a good thing, right? Good, good. I'm glad and keep smiling and keep doing everything you're doing. I'm so impressed with with you and and what you've created. So, um, congratulations, and I do hope to see you in the future soon. And do I? And and thank you for this opportunity to chat. And uh, it was really quite fun. So, thank you. You're very welcome. My guest today has been John Meadow. He's the founder and president of LDV Hospitality, which includes Scarpetta, American Cut, The Seville, and Dolce Italian. His website is ldvhospitality.com, and you can follow him at John Meadow and at LDV Life. You can follow me at Sherry Bayer, at Bayer PR, and at All Industry. My Facebook page is all in the industry, and my websites are bayerpublicrelations.com sherrybear.com and allintheindustry.com. All of our shows are archived at heritageradionetwork.org. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Thanks to my engineer today, Kevin. Thanks again to John, and thanks to his publicist, Taryn. I'm your host and producer, Sherry Bayer. I will be back next week with a new show. Hope you'll tune in then. Enjoy La Dolce Vita. And thank you, as always, for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. All in the Industry is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.